I've entitled the message, Again, Are All God's Promises for Me? And if you were here a few weeks ago, the title was, Are All God's Promises uh, for Me? And since I didn't finish it, I just added another word to it. Again, Are All God's Promises for Me? And, and when we come to a place like this, and we, if you've ever heard people talk about Jesus or about the Bible or about God, and, and they're pretty excited about it, sometimes they can paint this picture that's so idyllic, you think, man, I want in on that. I mean, sounds like God's going to meet every need I have or are people in my life that have needs, concerns, whatever it might be, and immediately they're placed on that Pollyannish experience where everything is, everything is shining. It's always shining outside. There's no rain. There's no problems. And if there is one, God's going to solve it immediately. And, and sometimes people will emphasize that, and they'll talk about, well, just how many promises are in this book. Now, depending upon how big your print is or how many pictures they got, any of you have, any of you have pictures in your Bible? That's the maps, okay, in case you know what those pictures are, okay. So, you know, they can, this book can be pretty big, right? And it can be pretty intimidating. And so sometimes people will section off and say, well, let me tell you, there's some special things in this book. And those special things are promises. And they'll say, all the promises in this book are mine. And that sounds awesome, doesn't it? But, but the problem is that's probably not true. Now, depending on who you look at, you know, Dr. Google had, uh, I looked it up from his perspective, and he had three or four different articles that had different numbers in terms of how many promises they thought were in this book. Uh, the biggest one number I came up with, at least concerning Dr. Google, was 8,810 promises. And, and then went and dissected a little bit and said in terms of the promises made by God, because not only God makes promises, but other people do as well. He said, well, if you look at promises made by God, uh, 7,487. But then I looked at some other sites. They said, well, really, there's only 3,567 promises. And then some said, if you really want to be very uh, precise, the, the word promise, if you, you took one translation, I didn't look at the other translations, in the King James Version, uh, all, the word promise is only used 50 times. But you don't have to use the word promise to make a I just want to see if you're still with me. You don't have to say the word promise to make a promise. But there are are all kinds of statements in the Bible made by God or by others in which they are assuring people that what they're saying will come true because they're committed to it, which is what a promise is all about, or a vow, or an oath, or a commitment to I will. But what we need to understand, and we need to understand this not just to, to be able to you know, maybe answer a trivia question on Jeopardy, is that if somehow we think all the promises in the Bible are for us, we're going to be dramatically disappointed when life happens and we don't think God comes through because someone told us that he would. That somehow that, that God has promised that he's going to heal every disease now. That, that he will rescue us from anything that goes wrong, and he'll do it when? Now. That whatever miraculous thing that, that I think needs to happen, he, he'll make it happen. You know, we're, we're going to be taking a, a group uh, to Israel, Lord willing, and one of the things we'll do, we'll get a chance to, to float on the Sea of Galilee. And there's one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to invite any people on our boat to say, why don't you jump out and see if you can do what, what Peter did, all right? Why don't you go try walking on the water? You know, and, and, and other things might happen. And, and, and in fact, this actually happened. In fact, uh, Pam and John were with us. Uh, we were at Hume Lake, and this is the second I, I'd heard this speaker speak, and it was the last time I heard him speak because I could not go back to anything else he said. 
But he, he really believed in the miraculous power of God, and I believe in the miraculous power of God, but I cannot claim every miracle that ever happened in the scriptures and say, I can perform it. And, and he was urging people, and I think this is it's a great passion to, to believe in the power of God and that, that God can do beyond what we can imagine or even think. But that doesn't mean we can claim everything. It's going to happen. It's going to happen now. And this is what he said. He says, you know, I really believe that God's going to give me the power to raise people from the dead. And then he said, you know, actually, I've even tried. You know, I don't tell a whole lot of people about this, but I'll tell you because you're part of my, you know, my group here. And he says, I go into mortuaries, and when no one's looking, I go to one of the caskets that might be filled with somebody, and I pray that we'd rise from the dead right now. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm looking ahead that it might happen. Now, I, I, I applaud his passion, but what he does, he begins to raise expectations that God's our genie in the bottle, and if we rub it just right, and that's what he's really saying, I believe it's going to happen in the future, what he's saying is, all I have to do is pray the, the right prayer in the right setting, and, and it's going it's it's to come through. It's, someone's going to come out of that, that, that box that they're in. Now, I can believe that God can do it if he wants to, but he hasn't given us a promise that we're going to be able to do it. At just a prayer that's prayed with a just amount of right, uh, a right amount of faith, and the circumstances are just right. Maybe the lighting in the room is a certain way. And, and, and when we begin to have those kind of expectations of God, then all the other passages in the Scripture that, that speak about when you follow that, our Lord on that narrow path, it, it, all those promises of, of God's blessings also have the bl- promise of God's trials. Otherwise, you know, James, half-brother Jesus in his letter, he wouldn't say, count it all joy when, when you encounter various, what? Trials. In fact, that's actually a promise. And usually what happens as we read the Bible, we love to claim the promises of blessings, but we don't want to claim the promises of trials or heartaches or pains. And often God's greatest glory is manifested in the testimonies that really rock our hearts and minds when we see what people have gone through and they remain faithful. And their love for God is, is deepened by the trials and pains and sufferings of this world. And so we need to understand that. And, and, and this is the context, and we're going to get to it. It's going to be kind of a, a race through the latter part of, as we get to Galatians. But I, I want to deal with promises and I want to deal with God's big promises, and I hope that the lessons there will kind of give us a perspective of how we should read this book in a, in a careful way. In the Bible, the word covenant is, is the fancy word for promise. It's cutting an agreement. It comes from a Hebrew word that means to cut. You know, it's cutting a contract. And God makes contracts or promises or covenants with people. And covenants are God's major promises made for chosen relationships. And the difference between a covenant and a contract, as some will write, is that it's not, a covenant is made with people that you have a relationship with. It's not a cold document uh, that made between people who don't necessarily know each other or know each other well. But God makes promises with people that, that he has brought into relationship with him. But what we need to understand is that some promises are conditional and some are unconditional. Some are, are based only on what God has promised he will do, independent of what we do, and some are based on if we do this, then he will do that. And 
We all have experienced that within our own homes. And we, we promise our children certain things, that they behave a certain way. But if they don't behave that way, then that promise or that, anticipate of that, that thing they're anticipating to be able to do or receive will not be given or experienced. And so we need to put all of God's words in its context or setting. Now, part of looking at the covenants, and there are more covenants than seven. We're going to look at seven um, this morning. But it's just to illustrate that as God makes promises, and all of God's promises are, are awesome, but some are bigger or more, um, more pervasive in terms of how it applies to other people. But we're going to look at this real quickly. And so I'm going to, I'm going to read a variety of passages. You might not be able to turn to us quickly. I even have to put a little things in here because it takes me a while to find them. Uh, But let's look at some of the major covenants and promises of God. And again, it's to help us understand when we look at a promise, and I have it in your outline, you need to ask these questions. Who was it for? Why was it given? And how does it apply? Is that promise for me, or was that only a promise for Peter to walk on the water? Was that a promise that that God was going to come through for Lazarus, or can we expect to call for someone from a tomb or a grave? Who who was the promise given for? Why was it given? And how does it apply? And I always share at services is that as you look at probably Jesus' most, um, I guess, impactful miracle before he went to the cross is when he raised Lazarus from the dead. But we need to understand that if that's all Jesus did, I mean, it was awesome, but, you know, it, it didn't last, right? Because we need to realize that Lazarus later on did what? He died. And if all he did was extend his life, I mean, that's awesome, but what I want to do is have a life that lasts forever, right? In the presence of the God who loves me and cares for me. And so we need to understand that, you know, as we look at when God does things, who did he promise it for, how does it apply, and why was it given? Well, let's look at some biblical promises or biblical covenants. Beginning at the beginning, and we just referred to this briefly last time. But in Genesis chapter 2, we have the first covenant. It's called the Adamic covenant. And I'm not swearing up here, but it's the, it's, the, it, it's the covenant made to Adam. And this is what he said, in, and I'll put it this way. It's a conditional promise to Adam that affects everyone. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat from it, you will surely what? Now, this is actually a promise of, um, well, the back end of it, a, a, a promise of cursing. If, if, if you disobey me, this is going to be the result. If you obey me, this is the blessing. So this was conditional. Now, it was given to Adam, but we know it is, it is for everyone because what has happened after Adam and Eve, other than Enoch, who took a walk with God and kept walking up to heaven, and Elijah got up there in a, in, a, in a miraculous way. Everyone who has been here on earth, other than, you know, um, these two, they've all what? They've all died. They died physically. And this was a, a promise given to Adam, but it applied to everyone. Make sense? Well, let's look at another one. This is, this is, this is a fun one, in a sense. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 9. Or just listen as I turn to Genesis chapter 9. This is the Noahic covenant, and, and this is what the text says here in, in Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. God said, this is the, the sign of the covenant which, is, which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. 
Now, sometimes the Bible dumbs down for us, which includes me, you know. Sometimes you read, you go, well, is this a conditional or an unconditional? And I'm going to mess up the waters here a little bit. Some promises are both conditional and unconditional. That which parts of it are you, are you reading? How does it apply? But as you're saying, is this just for a few people or is this for everybody? Well, here he says, look, this is for every living creature and for every generation. So this is timeless, okay? He says, I, I set my bow in the cloud. And what kind of bow is it? It is a... Oh, you guys are so sharp up there. Okay. It is a rainbow in the sky, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant, which is a promise, a, a cutting agreement between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth, and the bow will be, give, will be seen in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature and all flesh, and never again shall water become a flood to destroy all flesh. So when we see the beauty of a rainbow in the sky, and do you all like to see rainbows in the sky? I mean, just—I mean, they're just amazing. Now, it's not just given to entertain us, and I think it does entertain us, or, or amaze us is probably a better way to put it. It is to remember, this is a promise. Have you, I, just was, I was just thinking about that. I was talking, which is some, sometimes I think about when I talk. You know, but anyway, is that, it, 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 I think we've all thought at once, you know, if God, I, if God would just reveal his will to me, you know, on the things that aren't in the Bible, right? You know, where should I live? You know, what should I invest in? No, you know, you know, who should I marry? What kind of job should I have? How many children should I have? How many children should I not have? I, whatever it might be, okay? Is that you say, can you, could he just write God's will in the sky? Wouldn't that be neat? You know, just put the letters up there and let me read it. Well, he, he does with a rainbow. I want you to understand, I will not wipe out the earth like I did in Noah's day. It's not going to come by the floods. Now, there is judgment coming, but it's not coming that way. So, we, this is an unconditional promise. You don't have to do anything to keep God Almighty from sending a flood in here and making sure you're in a boat. You don't have to do anything because he has promised he is not going to do that no matter how we live and how we behave. So, that's an unconditional promise. It applies to everyone. Now, the Abrahamic covenant, and we're going to look at that briefly this morning as we look at the text in Genesis, I mean in Galatians, but... God calls out Abraham, and he's going to be a father of multitudes. An exalted father is going to be a father of the multitudes, Abram and Abraham. And he says in Genesis 12, I don't have that in your text, he says this, Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your children, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and I will curse, and you will, and and to you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he makes a promise here. He doesn't really ratify it until the section we're going to look at in a moment. But he says, "I'm going to give you a promise, Abram." And Abram, he was not the first. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't an Israeli at this point. He was just a pagan out there. And God says, "I'm going to." I'm going to choose you. I'm going to bring you to my family so you'll be the object lesson of my goodness to you and my faithfulness to you and every generation puts their trust and faith in you. And I'm going to give you an uncon- part of it, the, the, the covenant he makes with Abraham was conditional and part of it was unconditional. But he says, he says this, I will, I will, I will. And he doesn't put any qualifications to it in this particular text. He says, I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you a seed that's going to bless the whole world. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to bless you and protect you from forever. And there's going to be consequences for those who don't um, 
believe me and trust me, those who, who try to mess with you, I'm going to eventually mess with them. And so he gives them an unconditional promise. Now, have you ever had someone promise you something and you weren't really sure whether they were going to come through? You ever, ever bought something online and, you know, is this actually going to work? I'm still working on that. What do I call that? The pro, you know, the, the wrinkles aren't leaving my face yet with that pro um, steamer, right? Um, but John's already promised me. I don't know if it's a faithful promise. He'd, he'd, he'd buy it off me for $100. But anyway, so, you know, it, it, is that, you know, so Abraham gets this, this promise. And he says, how do I know this is going to happen? How do I know you're going to come through? This is, I, I don't, how can I have a, a huge nation? How can I have all these descendants? I, I'm married, but we don't have any. And, and we're getting a little older. How do I know this is going to happen? And so he gives him a great object lesson, Genesis chapter 15. And this, is, this shows, again, how some promises are unconditional. He said, well, bring me, this is verse 9 in Genesis 15. He said, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down from the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. You're thinking, what in the world? What's happening here? Well, he's going to give us a big object lesson, just like the communion table with the bread and the cup is an object lesson. He said, take these animals and cut them in two, and put them on both sides of this pathway. And just getting, I won't read the text. You can read it this, this afternoon if you want to. In Genesis chapter 15, he puts Abraham to sleep. And he pictures himself as a torch walking through the, the ravine between the, the two sets of animals. I mean, the animals had been split in half. And really what that pictured, and when it was a conditional promise, what would happen if people made a promise like this, both parties would walk through the, the divided animals. And really what they were symbolizing with that, if, if somehow I don't fulfill my promise or my covenant or the, the contract I've committed, uh, made with you, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And since he's making a blood oath, okay? I, you know, I, I, I not only, you know, sometimes we'll say, I swear on my mother's grave or whatever it might be. I, I swear on the point that you can put me to death if I don't, if I don't become faithful to the promise I've made to you. But the unique thing about this promise is only God walks through that path where he is saying, may I cease to exist if I don't come through on my promise to you. That out of your seed, the whole world will be blessed. And that was pointing to Jesus. That I will give you a land, I will give you a nation, I will bless you and protect you. Now, the conditional part of this, which is not only the Abrahamic covenant, but the other covenants, is, is you put in a time frame. When you obey me, you'll be blessed now. When you don't obey me, the consequences of your disobedience you'll experience. But in the end, I will come through because this promise is based on my ability to follow through no matter what you do. And can we just now go to some promises that, that are unconditional for us now? The, the Bible says for those who are in Christ, that's the one condition, if you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it, it says that 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means when we mess up, and any of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, and, and I hope all of you are, but do you ever mess up? Do you ever do some things that are worthy of condemnation? And maybe the heavy hand of God upon you to the point where he said, look, I'm disowning you. God says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Do you ever feel somehow God's so far away, you're wondering if he still cares about you? And that same chapter in Romans chapter 8 says, nothing can separate us from the what of Christ? The love of Christ. When you are unlovable, God still loves you. Because God demonstrates his own love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So nothing separates from the love of Christ. We are not under any condemnation. And when we go through the difficult times of life, or loved ones go through the difficult times of life, there's so many promises, whether by Jesus in Matthew 28 or whether it's in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so these are the unconditional promises that God is always faithful. Another covenant, you, get, you, get, you begin with the Adamic covenant, the covenant he made with Adam and Eve, and then you have the one he made to Noah, and then he made the one to Abraham. Some have conditional and some have unconditional sides to them. How about the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus chapter 19? And here we have the giving of the Ten Commandments. But, but before that, what we have here is just some simple, straightforward words to Moses. Moses went up to God, and, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. And he said, You shall say to the house of Jacob and to the house of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will abide, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So he makes a covenant with, with Moses, and if you read the rest of the account in Exodus, as well as in Deuteronomy particularly, you'll, you'll find out, they said, look, at, when you obey me, I'll bless you. And when you disobey me, there's consequences. And even beyond that, as you look at why did he give the law, the commandments to Moses? And we'll see this in Galatians where he said, look, for you to understand your desperate need to know me and depend upon me, I'm going to give you a standard to show you that you don't measure up. You know, I don't break too many rules when there are no rules. Have you ever... You know, have you ever had that point? You know, if there are no rules, how do I know I'm doing wrong? Well, God made it plain. And he wanted them to realize so clearly in their day and our day that, that if we stand before God based on our own merits, <laughs> we're a fool to believe that we'll pass that test. And as Paul says, the, the, the law was given as a tutor to lead us to our desperate need to know Jesus. And there was a picture of that in the Old Testament in terms of all the sacrifices to realize, look, at, you can't measure up by your obedience, so you need someone, something to cover your sin. And they had to give sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because the animal sacrifices weren't sufficient. 
Only the one who's been transgressed against can be the one who covers our sin. And that's why Jesus came. Some don't mention this, but the Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 5 through 7, really it's the entire chapter there. But really he speaks about, look at, I, I know you're going to go through a period of time where you're going to obey me and disobey me, obey me and disobey me, but I want you to know in the end, I will give you a heart that truly loves me and I will bring you back fully to the land that I have promised. And so it gets back somewhat the Palestinian covenant is exactly what the Abrahamic covenant is. It's unconditional in that, that the, the timing of how you're experiencing it right now will be based on your walk with me. But, but in the end, it'll be based on my faithfulness, not your faithfulness. Paul writes in Timothy that, that when we are faithless, he is always what? Faithful. And you see that in the big promises in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And in the midst of the details here, I, I just want you to understand that, that, that God's, God is always there. He's not silent. He shows up. And he's always on time. But we need to understand that, that some of the things he's promised are not for us. And some of the promises he made are conditional based on our own faithfulness and obedience. But the best promises are solely based on his character and his goodness and his faithfulness to come through. You have the Davidic covenant, and I'm going to kind of just summarize these. I was going to read all the passages. But in the Davidic covenant, you you have the promise that through David there would be one who would be put on the throne that would last forever. And this is the one that was promised about Jesus. In fact, in 2 Samuel, it speaks of that. But in Luke chapter 1, we see that fulfilled. It's the Christmas story. But in Luke chapter 1, 32 through 35, we have these words concerning Jesus. He will be great, and speaking of the one who is to come, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. And it really speaks about, again, back to to his promises made in the Old Testament and some have put it simply this. If you want to understand the Old Testament and New Testament, you can summarize it in this way. In the Old Testament, it's promises made. In the New Testament, it's promises kept. And all that he had said to Abraham and all that he had said to Moses and all that he had said to David is going to come true. And some of the heartache and pain of the, of the people in Israel is because of their disobedience and their unfaithfulness. But God will be faithful to his promises because he won't be the one who gets the glory. But the promise that we can really look forward to is the new covenant, which is what we are in. And every time we take communion, what we do is we celebrate the new agreement, the new deal. The one that's completely fulfilled in what Jesus has done. And so I want to read a couple passages that speaks about what we are living under or being blessed by in terms for us who know him, the, the, the new deal that we have in Christ. In Ezekiel, this is what God promised his people, and we share in that promise fulfilled. In Ezekiel chapter 
36, it says this in verses 26 through 30. Moreover, I, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart. And, and I will remove the stone from your, your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my uh, ordinances. You will live in the land that I give to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. Moreover, I will give you from all your uncleanness, and I will call on, on the grain and multiply it for you, and I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. And he speaks to Israel about that. So look at you. You are in exile, and you have experienced the, the fruit of your, your life. But there's coming in a day where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the miraculous, and I'll put a new spirit within you. I won't write my will on stone or on paper, but it'll be in your heart. And this is the agreement that is, that is experienced for all those, all those who are in Christ. And yet he also gives a promise of the future, being faithful to what he promised his, his covenant people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, he, he essentially says the same thing to them as he speaks about what is to come, and it was all fulfilled in Christ. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 37, he says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new agreement. I will, I will cut a contract with people I know, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant of which was with your fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which, I, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And, and see, this is, this is where God really speaks to the nation of Israel but also speaks to all those who are grafted in, as he says in Romans chapter 11, when we get to, we get to experience the blessings of the promises he made to Israel. Is that I'm going to do something miraculous in your life. I want to, I'm going to take that heart which is cold toward me. I'm going to take that, that, that old nature, and I'm going to give you a new nature. I'm going to give you not only the commandments to live, but I'll give you the power to live them out as the Spirit lives within me, within us. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for you will all know me from the least of these to the greatest of these, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Of all the promises that we can experience from God, isn't, isn't that one of the... I mean, that, that is, that's the foundational promise, isn't it? We look at all those things that separate us from God, and God says, By my miraculous hand, I will take everything that is deserving of judgment and condemnation and I will forgive your sin and remember it no more when you surrender your life to me. Now, this sounds like a promise too hard to believe. So he goes on and says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day? And that's God. And then fix order of the moon and the stars for light by night? And that's God. Who steers up the sea so that its waves roar? The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed 
order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, if I don't come through this promise, this new covenant, this new agreement, then Israel will cease to exist. And let me ask you, has Israel ceased to exist? Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Now, we we have all kinds of estimates how big or immense the universe is or how much is below us, but we've not been able to measure that in complete accuracy and detail. He says, look, if that can't be done, I want you to understand, if it could be done, then maybe I won't fulfill my promise, but I'm going to fulfill my promise to you because I am the one who's making the promise. So as we think about, again, are all the promises in the word of God for me? Uh, The answer to that is, is yes and no. Some of them are applied to me, but some are not applied to me. But the ones that are the foundational ones that bring us into relationship with him and change everything about who we are and what our future is going to be, they're on God's faithfulness, not ours. And what some, the challenge of what happens so often with people, myself included, is that either I will take away from what the the word of God says or I'll I'll add to it. And, And that's what, that's, Primarily what was happening in, the, in the, the churches in Galatia is they were saying, well, yeah, that, that's a pretty great promise that, that God gave Abraham, but, but, but you can't leave out what he said to Moses. He said, you, you, you're missing the point. There was a reason why God gave that conditional promise, that, the, that conditional covenant and contract to Moses. You are not under that law anymore. That law had a purpose. That purpose has been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. So what is the, the bottom line here? And now if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll just give a running commentary on Paul dealing with people who are saying, no, you, you, need, to, you need to tell everybody who's not Jewish that they've got to become Jewish. You've got, you got to tell people who have very little knowledge about the Mosaic law that they, they've got to learn it and they got to obey it. Not only just the top 10, but they, they better be doing the 613 commandments as well. Yeah, I, I think Jesus is, is necessary, but he's not enough. You got to add to it. And, and so, so he had to just challenge them to say, look, you're, you're misunderstanding the promises or covenants that God has made. He, he's made a new covenant that fulfills everything he said before. And so let's pick it up. And I've tried to leave it this way in terms of the application. What's the so what of of understanding God's promises? Is that we do need to trust in the promises which are for everyone, but we are not to trust in the promises which are not for everyone. And so let's look at it as Paul brings that to pass in this text. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. I'm going to be done in five minutes. Let's look at it. Paul writes and says, brethren, I speak in terms of of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. 
And he says, look, I, I'm, I'm trying to talk to you, not just in cold, hard facts here. I'm talk, trying to talk to you relationally. And I'm also trying to tell, talk to you in ways that you understand. There are certain promises, certain covenants, certain contracts. We have trust today that they are irrevocable. They're not, they, you can't amend them. That They're now in concrete. And I want you to understand that this covenant that he has made, this is a covenant that is, that is not to be added to. And what you are trying to do is you're trying to add what he said later to Moses and put it back into this promise he made to Abraham. And not only that, you're trying to put it into the new covenant. It's been fulfilled. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And in your seed, that is Christ, what, I'm saying to you, what I am saying is that the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. Now, again, that's kind of complicated language, but if you're getting the point here, so look at All right. They're arguing what the promise he made to Abraham. And I didn't read that section in Genesis chapter 15, but how, how did Abraham become right with God? The Bible says very plainly, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Let me make it as plainly as I can. People come into a right relationship with God. People get saved. Get, people get adopted into God's family the same way in the Old Testament as they do in the New Testament. It's all based on God's grace, and we, we appropriate it by faith. In the Old Testament, they looked ahead to the cross. We look back to the cross. The pictures of all the animal sacrifices were to picture the one and, and complete sacrifice that's going to be made in the future. And, and so what Abraham did, he came into a right relationship with God based on his faith in God's grace. And what they were doing, so well, yeah, well, you know, Jesus needed to come, and that was awesome, but, but we, can't, we can't eliminate all those other commandments. He said those commandments had a purpose, and that purpose was to desperately drive us to the point we need God's grace. We need God's mercy. We cannot do it on our own. For if the inheritance was based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. This is the promise that applies to us. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. It's not obedience to a, a, a law that you cannot obey completely. It, it's based on God giving us what only he can give. And if we somehow add to it's Jesus plus, whatever that plus is, then we do what Romans, what Galatians 2.21 says. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven, you're not going to make it. You have to receive that which you can only obtain by the gift of God. Some have put it this way, as you understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, is that the Old Covenant, the whole idea was you rely on God's faithfulness, and in the, I mean, in the New Covenant, in the Old Covenant, you rely on your faithfulness. And if you don't think that's what's happening today, then you're not talking with people. 
If you ask people that, that really don't understand, haven't come to that place where they insert in their life of Christ, and maybe some of you are here today in that way, if you ask them, well, do you think you're getting to heaven? And, and uh, they say, well, I think so. Why do you think so? Because, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty good. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than a lot of people. And so I, I think that, that God will give me a passing grade. Based on what? Based on their life is not is being not as bad as they think it is. But but the Bible puts our sin this way that even the best things we do are are like filthy rags, and we won't paint that picture as graphic as it is in the Old Testament. And, and so he's saying so plainly, it's not on your faithfulness, it's on God's faithfulness. It's not what what I old old covenant is what I will do. And the new covenant is what God will do. In the New Covenant, it's depending upon God. In, in the Old Covenant, it's depending on your own self. As we think about what God does in the New Covenant, it's God's power that makes it happen. In the Old Covenant, it's, it's our performance. Now, there were people in Moses' day that got it because they didn't put their faith in their own obedience. They put their faith in the sacrifice that symbolized that God needed to cover them up for their sin. But when you look at an external law to being that is what you need to measure up to, you're going to fail. We all fail. And he says, when you, when you add to God's grace, what you're doing is you're, you're saying that the, the cross was not enough. When Jesus said, it is finished, you say, well, no, nah, it wasn't quite finished. I, I got to do, do my part to, to measure up what he didn't quite finish. So we need to trust on God's promises. And look at these promises, the promises that they are so much more life-changing than the promises that so often people want to drift toward. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. I will, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the midst of your trials, I'll bring you comfort and joy. Because, you know, this is not the end. This is not the ultimate destination. I forget what happens in the past. I look forward to what God has promised for the future. So trust in the promises that God has for you. Don't trust in the promises which are not for everyone. Just reading the the last section. In Galatians 3, verses 19 through 22, we have these three. I, I want you to show you how superior is the new covenant to the old covenant. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. The the, the turning away from God became so graphic that that God had to bring it to clarity and say, look, you you are far from me. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. It's not that the, the, the Old Testament, the, 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 the Mosaic law, or the Ten Commandments were, were not good for a purpose, but they were not enough. They weren't, they weren't efficient or sufficient. For if law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteous would have indeed been based on law. If your own performance was good enough, then God wouldn't have had to send Jesus. And look at the heart of Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? 
If there's any other way to get this done, probably didn't use that voice, but anyway, you know, if there's any other way to get this done, just make it happen. Take this cup from me. And he knew from the very beginning that he, that he was born to die. He came to rescue us, and yet at that point, he re- is there any other way? And he, he knew, but he expressed what, as our model example, there are times we're going through things. We're saying, God, isn't, isn't there any other way you can make this happen? And this is the only way to bring us into relate, right relationship with him. The holy one had to die for the unholy ones, which is us, so that we could become holier right in his eyes. It's not based on our performance. It's based on his provision, his power. But the scripture, verse 22, has shut up everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You might be thinking, why did you go all this way in terms of the promise? Because the word promise is used over and over again in this section. What is the promise of God? Most of us know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise of God. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. This is the promise. There's, there's no laws attached to that. There, there, there's no self um, achievement based on that. It's not what you achieve, but what you receive. Now, the challenge of that, of course, is that, that is immensely humbling, isn't it? We can't face God based on our own merits. It's only humbly receiving His grace and His mercy. People look at the covenants in slightly different ways, and some of the things I presented here, other people would tweak it a certain way. But the, but the reality of the covenants and the promises of God were to be a picture of the one who was to come, who would completely fulfill that which God had said in the past and make true in the present. When we remember the cross, and when we think about communion, what is communion all about? Just remember the cross. That what was done on the cross is sufficient to bring us into right relationship with him. And those who should have known better, those who are arguing with with Paul, as he writes this letter, they were missing it. They thought they knew, but they did not know, and they were nullifying the grace of God displayed on the cross. Let's pray. I pray in the midst of all that we're <laughs> looking at this morning, that above all else, we might, we might settle on what, what really trust in is, is trusting in who has given these promises and, and trusting in what you have promised that applies to us. And so often we, we for many reasons, desire that you would do things that that would relieve the pain in our life or the pain in somebody else's life. And and so often you come through and do that. But might we recognize that we we live in light of eternity. This this life is like like a vapor. It's like lighting a match and seeing it go out. That our greatest opportunity is to trust in the one who 
has our future settled and, and the present always goes with us. If I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they recognize that it's, it's only through Christ that we receive forgiveness. And Father, for us who know you, might we recognize in the midst of often being so preoccupied with the things of this world, might we realize that you've told us to set our minds on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God and that our, our joy, our purpose comes through you. Father, we would pray that we would be a people that know you and live for you. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.